Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, God, to challenge us and to convict us. Father, as we've been brought to this place, Lord, we pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, today we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and as it is, Easter is a day where you get a lot of people that visit that figure the church is open on that Sunday. I should go and we welcome you. We are here every Sunday. Um, we would love to have you come back. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that you know the Easter story because it's very easy. Uh, Jesus died on a cross, went to heaven, satisfied the wrath of God. And uh, by his blood, he returned to earth to prove that he was God in the flesh. And that's what Christians believe. Uh, and I believe in it not as an allegory. I believe it in a literal sense. Jesus literally lived. He literally died. He literally went to heaven. Um, and he literally paid for my sins. And so I literally put my faith in him so that I could be forgiven and go to heaven for all eternity. And, and this is kind of an outlandish idea. Uh, it's miraculous and it's inexplicable, but it changed the world forever. Not, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense, Christians have changed the world. You look through history and, and there's never been a greater impact on humanity than Christians. Uh, 2.3 billion people believe in some version of Christianity. And today we join them as the global church just to celebrate Jesus today. And so all over the globe, there's Christians celebrating Jesus. We're just part of that course. And I'm pleased that we're part of the global church. Now at Faith and Victory, what we do is we go through the Bible. And uh, basically, we just find a book of the Bible and we just go through it over a couple years. We've been in Matthew for a couple years. And on Easter, um, I, I just like to do what we normally do. And, and there's a reason why I do that is because I feel as though it's kind of incredulous to bring people to church on Easter Sunday. And then there's like lambs and, you know, plays and fireworks and all this other stuff. And then the people come back next week and they're like, there's no live animals? Like... <laughs> Where's the, where's the drama? Where's the extra thing? So I, I'd much rather just be who we are on a Sunday. So for those of you that are visiting can be like, man, this is what we do every single week. We, we worship God like this most weeks. Some weeks people are tired, but like most weeks we, uh, we worship God like that. And every week we go through the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God, but the Bible helps us understand him. And um, so today, and as God would have it, we've been going through Matthew, and I was so excited when I looked a couple weeks ago to know that this is where we're at in Matthew, because I, I love just being able to preach something on Easter Sunday that fits. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17 this morning, we'll be in verses 1 through 13, and it says this, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, then and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. 
Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked, saying, Why then do scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then Jesus, excuse me, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So what's happening in this story is Jesus takes his disciples up on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah appear in a vision to his disciples. Jesus turns uh, bright white and then uh, Peter's like, hey, let's build some tabernacles. Let's build some tents. Let's keep you guys up here. And Jesus says no. And then they go down the mountain and then Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody what you've seen until I've risen from the dead. Well, the good news is, is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so today I can tell you exactly what happened and I can tell you what it means. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating story, and it's, it's really equally peculiar as the resurrection story. The, the idea of the resurrection is a very peculiar, outlandish story, is it not? Uh, a guy's crucified, goes down into the grave, and comes back from the dead. And this story is equally like peculiar, like, okay, so he goes up into the mountain, and then these two dead guys appear, and then he turns white, and it just seems kind of odd, does it not? Yes. You guys are like, man, I'm from Auburn. There ain't nothing that scares me. <laughs> I'm like, that's peculiar, right? They're like, have you been to Auburn? Have you, have you seen what it's like out there? Like, ah, just par for the course, man. Just seems like a normal Friday. Verse 9, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And I think what Jesus is showing them in this story is very significant. And if you would allow me, I'm going to teach you something, and then I can tell you something. Uh, what, what's going on in this story? Well, first off, why did Jesus tell them not to tell anyone? It's because Jesus knew that people are people, and if everybody heard about this event, chances are they would not have heard the most important message that Jesus came to preach. If they had come off this mountain and they came down like, bros, we were up on the mountain, and these two dead guys appeared. The, Jesus turned bright white. It was crazy. Everybody like, I want to see dead people. I want to see somebody shine. What, where are we going, man? What's he doing this again? What time is the show? I want to go. Now, anybody that knows me will tell you that I am not good at keeping secrets. Yes. <laughs> I'm just not, man. It's because I'm not a good liar. I'm, I'm the guy that like, I see you on Friday. I'm like, hey, see you at the surprise party tomorrow for you. It's, it's a joke. Uh, what did I just like? I'm just, I'm no good at keeping information to myself. I'm just not. I know it's hard to believe. And people being the way that they are would be inclined if this secret got out to follow the signs and not the savior. If Jesus had not told them to be quiet, they may have just followed the signs and not the Savior. And, and I've seen many people like that within Christianity. They, they don't follow Jesus, they just follow the signs. They just want to go on to the next flaming bush and fall out and get gold teeth and just kind of move on. But you'll, you'll notice that in this story, thousands of people followed Jesus, but they were nowhere to be found when he went to the cross. They, 
abandoned him. They fled from him. Now, Jesus had to go to the cross. This is part of the story uh, of the Bible is that Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to die on the cross for our sins. The, the numbers, though, are that Jesus had enough followers that they probably could have given Rome a run for their money. Uh, and this is why they wanted to crucify him because they were afraid of this uprising. And, and, and so whatever message you've heard about Jesus, the message of Jesus, again, is quite simple. And I want you to hear this this morning. The message of Jesus is, I have overcome the grave. I, I, I have paid the penalty for your sins. And so now, if you would put your faith in me, you can live forever and not have to live under the sin, uh, under the, the shame of your sin. Amen. And in this story, Jesus says, do not tell anybody about this vision until I've risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. So now I can tell you. That's the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is I can tell you. I can tell you about this because Jesus, if it was earlier, I couldn't tell you. But now I can tell you. I can tell you exactly what was going on in this story because Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen? Uh, First off, I can tell you that this is a recreation of the Sinai experience of Moses. Um, uh, You have to think of the Bible as a whole. It's it's difficult to take pieces out and just make a whole theology about it. You have to really look at the whole entire thing from Genesis to Revelation and say, what's the story that God is trying to tell us about his nature? What is God trying to tell us uh, about how we should live. And, and the experience of Moses on Mount Sinai back in Exodus 19 was that Moses went up on the mountain and Moses sh- uh, shone like a light. And then Moses came back down to the nation of Israel and told them like, God has spoken to me. I am now your leader and you're going to follow me and I'm going to lead you to where you are supposed to be. That, that was a transformational time for the nation of Israel. And now the people of Israel back in Exodus would know exactly what God wanted them to do. Uh, They wouldn't have any questions and say, well, where are we supposed to go and who is our leader and how are we supposed to live because of what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. And and so if you read through Exodus, Moses goes up and down on the mountain and back uh, a few times and and he comes back and he tells the Israelites how they should live, right? He receives the law of God and he comes down and he tells them the law of God and says, this is God's laws and this is how you're supposed to live. Many of you probably heard about the Ten Commandments. Yes, it was during those experiences that he comes back. Now, in this interaction that God had with Moses, there were four things that happened. God became tangibly real to the Israelites. It was no longer uh, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the God of Moses. Uh, He became tangibly real to them. The law was given to the Israelites, and Moses was seen as the obvious leader of, of Israel from that point. Um, And then God was able to speak to his people through Moses. And so throughout the story of Israel and the story of Moses, God spoke to Moses. And even today, uh, Jewish people still revere Moses as a great leader of Israel. And so... From this point forward, they would know um, who their leader was and who was in charge and who was going to tell them. Now, as many of you know, I was in the military before, and I love military experiences uh, as sermon examples. It was funny. Last week, I used some of y'all as sermon examples uh, (laughs) because it's easier to do that when you're out of town. And I called you out by name. So if if you want to hear some of those, I do it all the time when I go out of town. It's easy to make you a sermon because you can't say nothing. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
So it's fan, but I, here I like to use older experiences because, you know, people get mad when you use them as a sermon example. Um, in the military, they had this thing called change of command. And a change of command ceremony is uh, they put you in your uniform and they put you out in the hot sun and you practice for two days and people fall out and it's hot and it's sweaty because they always happen during summertime for some reason. I don't know why they don't do it in the winter. It's always in the summer that you stand out there. And it's, it's really quite simple. There's an old commander that's the outgoing commander of the unit and then there's a new commander that's the incoming commander of the unit. And they have this, you know, it's all pomp and circumstance and parade and everything else. And they take the, the guide on, the, the company flag, and they have this ceremony where the one commander hands it to the other commander and the other commander takes it from them and it, and it symbolizes that the command has now changed from one person to another. And so literally the morning that you wake up, uh, you have one commander and then by the end of the day, you have a new commander and that old commander is gone. He has no authority over you. He can't tell you what to do. He's just the guy or gal that used to run your unit and you have a completely new leader. Th- this is that experience that Jesus is having on this mountain where he has to take his disciples up there and say, you guys have been following Moses and the law, but you're not going to follow Moses and the law anymore. I'm going to be your leader. I'm going to be the one that's going to guide you. Moses has brought you to this point, but there's been a change of command where from this point forward, I want you to follow what I do and I want you to follow what I say. And, and, and so God speaks and Jesus is transfigured. He's glowing all of these things and they should see it. They should understand, okay, this is what happened to Moses. This is what's happening to Jesus. So now we can follow Jesus. This, this was a complete indirect. Now I can tell you today here in this church at Faith and Victory, you can have this same Mount Sinai transfiguration experience where you can meet Jesus. You can get direction for your life. You can have your life change. This morning, God has brought you here to this mountaintop. Jesus is revealing himself to you. He is showing himself faithful to you. And you're going to have to make a decision to say, am I going to believe the signs that I'm seeing, submit myself to Jesus and have him be the leader over my life? Because the truth is there needs to be a change of command in your heart. He's giving you direction. He's t- Jesus is telling you, he- if you say, what's so important about Easter? Why does everybody go to church on Easter? Well, it's so that you would know that Jesus wants to be the leader of your life. Yes. He wants to direct you. He wants to be in charge of you. Hebrews 1-2 has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the, made the worlds. This is why, and I love the way that you guys ended uh, worship, where we ended with all hail King Jesus. He's our King. And when we say that, it's not simply this idea of like, oh, he's a king. It's, it's, it's literally lordship. It's ownership. It's direction. Jesus is my king. I hail him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to submit to him. He's going to be the person that decides the direction of my life. Amen? I don't know if this world creates anxiety and problems in your heart, but at times it does to me. If you, if you pay attention to what's going on around us, just, <laughs> just simply being alive is enough to create emotional anxiety within any one of us. Amen? I, I, you know, I always say these things and I'm vulnerable and then you guys never amen me like I was hoping. You guys are like, Pastor, I walk in faith and victory every day. You know, I, I, I watch the news and hear stuff and then somebody's like, hey, wheat harvest is down. And I'm like, honey, we're buying pasta. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't even eat pasta, but I'm, <laughs> I do sometimes. Carbs will kill you. Anyway, um, we're, we're, not, we're not, like, the life that we all live today is not the life that existed in Bible times. It's just not, man. We're not living the existence of our forefathers. We're, most of us are not li- even living the existence of our grandparents. Think about this. There was only 108, by some estimations, I told my wife this, and she's like, how'd they know that? It was on the internet, honey. That's how I know. <laughs> there were, by some estimations, there was only 188 million people on the earth when Jesus was here. There, now, if you don't know your numbers, there's about 350 million Americans, right? There's about close to 8 billion people on the planet. So there was less than 200 million people on the whole planet when Jesus walked the earth. Now, our population, the world population, has grown more in the last 50 years than it did in the previous, like, 10 to 12,000. Those are staggering numbers. And, and so the reality is, is that there is scarcity of goods. There's scarcity of land. There's, I mean, you can see it now. There's scarcity of housing and cars and all these other things. And so when there's scarcity, humans, because we want to feel comfortable, we want to feel safe, we grab at things. We want to own things to make ourselves feel safe. And so if you're paying attention, realize like, man, there's like 7 billion more people at the table that want a piece of this pizza, right? And it creates anxiety in our hearts and there's wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and inflation and disinformation like you know what I mean <laughs> and, and truly if you haven't submitted to Christ as Lord this can be a blood curdling thought like I, and, and I, I I love Jesus I'm fully submitted to him and I'm not going to lie to you and say I never have you know moments where my mind drifts to the worst case scenario and I creates anxiety in my heart but the difference for me with people that don't have Jesus is I quickly come back to the cross and they will say well I'm fine dude like what am I worried about man death where is thou sting like to live is Christ and to die is gain like I'm not, I'm not worried about my future here's what I can tell you I can tell you that having Jesus as your leader is a great life yeah. You, you walk above the clouds. You, you, you're in this world, but not of this world. You, you look at the world in a different way. You don't worry about the things that other people worry about. Here, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that this story is an establishment of Jesus' supremacy. Verse 4, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it, it is good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, and that's tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And in this moment, what happens is that Peter is trying to establish what he thinks is the best plan. All these great men are up here on this mountain. What, what, let's just set it up so that everybody can come up here to worship him. And, and, and I don't have time to go into it, but Jewish people would set up these tabernacles with palm branches, and they'd be little tents that they would use for worship. And, and so what Peter is not getting in this story is, and, and we can't go back, but we've been there. Jesus has already begun to talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter, in really good form, is completely missing the point. I was talking to Nick. Nick, are you here this morning yet? Uh, it'll be at second service. I was talking to Nick yesterday about Peter, and, and we were talking about how Peter's a guy that just doesn't always get it, <laughs> right? He's the guy that's like, hey, what are we supposed to be doing here? I got my sword, and hey, I'm not supposed to eat this. Like, he's just got all these different things. And so no different here that he's like, yeah, I know you told me about death, burial, and resurrection, but why don't we just set up shop here? Let's keep you up here. We can sell tickets. Everybody can come up and see these guys. <laughs> this plan is much better. 
And, and it's not unlike what people do today with the resurrection story. Let, let's, let's turn the story of Jesus into something other than what it is. Let's, let's package it in such a way that we don't have to say what it actually is. Let, let's make Jesus as palatable as possible. Because if we make Jesus as palatable as possible, then we can gain more people to follow Jesus. But they're not really following the Jesus of the Bible. This, this is one of my problems with a, a lot of preachers of, uh, of Jesus is that they omit the parts of the story that are central to who Jesus is. Uh, friends, our story is a bloody story. Yeah. Our, our story is a miraculous story, and it, it's about sin, and it's about death, and it's about blood, it's about resurrection. And, and we can't gloss, our, gloss over those and expect that somehow people are going to be transformed by, by only looking at the parts of Jesus that seem to be pretty exciting. We, we tell people like, hey, come to Jesus, you can be healed. Come to Jesus, he'll do signs and wonders. Come to Jesus, you'll feel different. Like, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is he died on the cross for my sins. Here's the other problem, though, is that in this story, Peter is equating Moses and Elijah with Jesus. To, to Peter, he's just equating Jesus as the next step in the process. And that's not the position that Jesus is supposed to be in. To, to, to Peter, in his mind, he says, okay, first Moses, first Elijah, then Jesus. Okay, this is just how, how it's going to go. This is just another option. And, and this, is, this is really uh, understandable for us in our American mindset because if we don't like our leaders, we just elect a different one or we move somewhere, we change our jobs. That's, that's just what we do. But, but the, the, the reason why Jesus is up on the mountain is to show them these two guys are part of the story, but I am superior to them. I, I want you to understand my superiority. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. To Peter, they were all equal, but the issue is that they are not all equal to Christ. Christ is superior. Um, and, and this is an important part of the process to establish Jesus as the superior one to Moses and Elijah. Let, let me show you what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse through 4. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet, he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, and had has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Friend, Christ is superior. Yes. Yes. He is superior over the law. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. This is what he wanted to establish. And, and so today as we gather on this Resurrection Sunday, and you're going to walk away from here, and you, you're like, what am I supposed to hold on to? Hold on to the fact that Christ is superior over everybody else. Yes. I can tell you that Christ is superior to anything and everything that your life should be about. And anything that you are holding on to in your life that you think is going to sustain you, it will not sustain you. Christ is superior over that. I can tell you that Christ wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to direct and lead every aspect of your life. Christ wants to forgive you of the deep, nasty, secret sins of your heart. And he wants to make you a new creation. I can tell you that because Christ is superior. I can tell you that Christ is superior over your allegiance to your country. 
Now, I say, now when I say that, I'm a, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I, 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 I did six years active. I did two uh, deployments. I love America. I, I believe in the Constitution. I am American. That's who I am. But my allegiance is to Jesus. My allegiance is not, not to a country. I'm, I'm not going to submit to a country that doesn't submit to God. I'm going to live by the laws of the land that line up with my Jesus, but those laws that don't, I'm not going to do it. It's the reason why I refuse to stop gathering for worship during COVID. I, I, people say, well, you know, you're doing what I, you want. I've got to worship God. As soon as the governor said, you're not allowed to worship, I went, ding. You're no longer relevant in my life. I'm going to worship Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ comes first. And so I can tell you that Christ is superior over my life. That's why I don't care if I die. I mean, I do, right? I, I do care if I die, but I don't care if I die, right? The Bible says to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if I die worshiping God, I die worshiping God. Because Christ is superior even over my life. Over everything, Christ is superior. Christ is superior over your time and your talents and your treasures. It's full submission to his righteousness. Again, I, I love to use these military examples because they're so easy to come by. And I love the word picture. For me, most of Christianity can be understood by the military and working out um, because there's so many parallels. Really. Um, in, in the military, a lot of people don't understand this, but they own you, own you. Yes. And, and they don't just own you like while you're at work. They own you while you're not at work. Um, they, they can tell you when to dress and how to dress. They can recall you at any time. I remember Pastor Jay telling me in the Marine Corps, and the Army actually didn't have this standard because, you know, you were talking on Wednesday about the Marines and, you know, the crayon eaters are a little bit different than the rest of us. Amen. <laughs> We always, we always say, we can pick on each other, but you can't pick on us, right? Um, and the Marines had a standard that you guys actually had to wear, a, you were supposed to wear a belt with your shirt tucked in, even when you like, were in your civilian clothes. Isn't that right, Aaron? The Army didn't have that standard, but most people would say, well, what right do they have to tell me how to dress when I'm not at work? Because they own you. They own you. They can call you back to work at any moment. You don't own your Saturdays. You don't own your Sundays. You don't own your, you don't own nothing about you. They own you 24, 7, 365. And I love this example because in Christianity, many people are excited about the Jesus of Sunday. They're just not excited about the Jesus of Monday. They're not excited about the Jesus of Friday night and Saturday night and Thursday mornings. They, they love to come and sing the songs. and They want to be forgiven of their sins, but they don't want to have to answer to Jesus 24-7, 365. But that's the Jesus of the Bible. He owns you lock, stock, and barrel. He doesn't, I, I mean, I, I don't know if the military would go this far, but I think Jesus even goes farther. And he says, I own your thoughts. I own your desires. I own everything about you. I want your mind to be transformed to me and my heart, your heart to be transformed me, your actions to be transformed me. And I own you 24, 7, 365 because I am superior over everything. And I will tell you uh, that this changed the directions of the disciples. This, this experience up on the mountain while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The point of bringing Jesus up on the mountain was, uh, with the disciples was to establish his supremacy and give them marching orders so they would know what to do. 
quite simple from God. This is my son. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. And this is transformational because these disciples up to this point were following Jewish law. But now God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. Do what he says. Follow him. This is going to change your direction. They need to follow Jesus. They need to follow what he's going to tell them to do. Uh, They are the instrument. The disciples become the instrument that God uses to change the world. So it's very important that they understand understand what Jesus is saying. Oh, as Jesus is talking to them, he's describing to them where the plan of salvation is going. And and this is what leads us to today. It's Jesus is saying, do not tell anybody this until I go to the cross, because that's where it's all going. After the cross, salvation is going to come. After the cross, you can tell everybody. After the cross, you can tell them everything that I ever showed you and everything that I ever talked to you about, because they're going to understand that I went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sins. Now, what does that mean to you? Since it's Easter and since Jesus has risen from the dead, today is the day that you can change the direction of your life. You you can have a direction change. You, you, You might find yourself in a directionless experience where you don't know what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to live. But I can tell you today, if you're a person that's lacking direction in your life, Jesus today is speaking to you through the preaching of the word, through the worship, and saying, submit to me and let me change the direction of your life. This is why at this church we use the word repent, because repent sounds like a real like scary word, but it's not. It's just repent means a changing of the mind. Repent means a turning. And so a direction change is I have been walking away from Jesus, and now I'm going to walk towards Jesus. I'm going to walk away from Jesus, and I'm going to walk with Jesus. I, I, I used to love my sin, and now I'm going to love Jesus. I used to be in shame and guilt of my sin, and now I'm going to be forgiven of my sins. And so that direction change can come today through the power of the cross and through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I can tell you this. You can leave today and do nothing. You can. You can leave here and just like, you know, eh, that's fine. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. Jesus wants to give you that direction. He wants to give you that new place. But, but I'll tell you, if you want to have the direction change with Jesus, you've got to submit to him. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not forceful. He doesn't tell, tell people that I'm going to force you to do this. You have to make the choice and say, you know what? I'm going to submit to you. Don't, now, today, I believe, and if the service is any indication, he has shown himself to you. He manifests himself in the praises of his people. That, that feeling you got in the middle of worship is Jesus. That, that, that power that you're like, gosh, this is powerful. It's not because a bunch of broken sinners are singing praises. It's because God manifests in the praises of his people. That, that spirit that you feel in, uh, around you that's tangible and palatable is the spirit of Jesus. And so you can either come in here and set up a tent and try to contain Jesus, or you can use it as an example to say, you know what? I'm supposed to have a direction change. My life is supposed to be different. Jesus paid the penalty when he went to the cross, and so now my life has to be resurrected. The only one that can save me from my sins is Jesus. And so I, I'll, I'll ask you that, and I'll say, do you want to receive him today? Do you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you, do you want to change the direction of your life? Because I, I will tell you that a, a change of direction in your life can happen miraculously, miraculously today if you would submit yourself to Jesus. 
Again, the story of the cross is very simple. We were all born into sin by the sin of Adam. And, and because of that, you were born into the wrath of God. And, and that's hard for some people to, to fathom. And the reason why is because God is holy and you are not. And so when you're born into sin, God's wrath, his anger is on the sin of our lives. But because Jesus, through the cross, we can come to him and say, do you want? I don't want to live the life that I lived before. I want to be forgiven of my sins. You submit to the story of the cross and you submit to Jesus and you say, you want, I want to be forgiven. And the Bible says that you become a new creation. The Bible says you become born again. The Bible says you get set free and that you live in that new life. And then you no longer have to fear this life. You no longer have a life that's lacking direction. You don't have a life where you wonder who your superior is. You know with everything inside of your life that Jesus is the King and Kings and Lord of Lords over your life. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads this morning? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, I want to be a Christian, I want to make Jesus superior over my life, we want to just give you an opportunity to respond. The Bible says that if you will confess, confess him as Lord, that you'll never see death. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Eternity in heaven. Now at our church, we do two things. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then after that, I'm going to ask you to walk to the front. And I'll tell you why we do that. It's because I believe that if you cannot stand up in a room full of probably not going to fare well when you go out to the world. It's going to be very difficult for you. I know some people have social anxiety and those types of things, but man, you're amongst friends. If you've never made that decision before, you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision? Really? Is today the day?
We'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.